Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Look at three people and just say, Jesus loves you. Tell three people around you, Jesus loves you. He does. He really does. That's an amazing thought, that Jesus loves me, Jesus loves you. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Kings. If you didn't tell somebody Jesus loves you, I hope somebody told you, because you need it really bad then. 2 Kings chapter number 5 is where we are today. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know we're almost done with our study that we've entitled Tomorrowland. In fact, we have just two more weeks through this study. And I've enjoyed this study, just learning. This is some of my favorite portions of Scripture because there's so many deep and strong truths and there's just a vivid reality of the story that is being told from the historical account recorded for us in the Word of God. If you'll remember, our, our study began with a man by the name of Elijah who saw problems in his generation, saw problems in his society, and thought, maybe God would just use me to help fix some of those issues. And God surely did use him. There was a national revival that would come through his work. The people who were worshiping Baal would cry out, Bruce, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they give credit to God for the uh, goodness and the greatness of who he is. There was societal change. There was economic change. There was political change that happened all through the work of this man named Elijah. Elijah served his God and he served faithfully during his time here on this earth. And then he transitioned into heaven. And in doing so, he left the work of the ministry to his predecessor, um, whose name was Elisha. And Elisha asked God that he would be used to do twice as much work as Elijah. And the miracles of Elijah were profound. We studied those last week as we looked at the study of miracles. Today, our study is entitled Priceless. Priceless. In your notes today, we're going to look at five different individuals. If you'll see your notes inside of your bulletin, it talks about the man, it talks about the maid, talks about the messenger, it talks about the military, and it talks about the master. We're going to see five different people who had a priceless possession in their life. And I want to challenge you, all of us have priceless things. All of us have the opportunity to hold on to these same priceless things that the people in Scripture have. Today's study is entitled Priceless. I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Father, today we want to hear from you. We want to turn our eyes upon you. We recognize that you are God, that you died, were buried, and rose again to pay for our sins. And in the best way we know how, we yield ourselves to your word, and we ask that you would teach us and instruct us during uh, this time today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Yesterday afternoon, I was in Dallas-Fort Worth with Brianna. We had a, a layover, and so we're sitting in one of the gates, and I asked my wife, Uh, What are things that are priceless in your life? And probably if I were to ask you these questions, some of the same answers would come up as well. And uh, she said, oh, well, my wedding ring is priceless. And this is not a picture of her wedding ring, but of one that 
I wish I could have gotten for her whenever we were first married. Now, the truth is, there is a price for her engagement ring. Whenever we were getting married, I was 22 years old when I proposed to her, and I had been working for about 18 months as the youth pastor here at Liberty Baptist Church, making the big bucks. (laughs) (laughs) And I bought her wedding ring at the Gold and Diamond Exchange at Valley View in Sahara. It's like a pawn shop. And if you've ever been there, it's not like, oh, he got it at Jared's? No, the guy's name was Abdul. That's who I got it from. (laughs) And I got this, I got, and it was the best I could afford, and it was the prettiest thing. I tried to get kind of her specifications of what she could get, and there was a price for that, that wedding ring that we got. And I feel like the guy gave me a good deal on it, but there is a price to it. In fact, if you were to take that wedding ring and go to a a different place and get it appraised, that person would say, oh, this ring is valued at, I don't know how much. But when Brianna looks at it, it's priceless. Do you have a priceless thing in your life? I asked her, okay, that's a really good one because it makes me look good. So what would be another one that would be priceless? She said, well, like handmade Christmas ornaments. Did any of you have something like this on a Christmas tree in your house a couple months ago? Isn't that funny? You look at these things and they're made out of popsicle sticks and crayons and Elmer's glue and maybe there's a handprint or a footprint from a child. And, and some of you last late November and others of you late September went to a special place and, and you pulled out your Christmas things. And as you pulled out your Christmas things, you, you looked at baby's first Christmas, maybe a picture of a toothless kid, or maybe a handprint, and, and you write on there, this was made by uh, Charlotte when she was in third grade, or this was made by Ashlyn if she, when she was in first grade. If that's in your box, that's weird, because <laughs> those are my kids' names. <laughs> but, those, but those are, as we pulled those out, those were things that, oh, yeah, and we put them up on the tree, and we remember if we were to leave those on the, on the chairs afterwards, if you were to leave those things on the chairs afterwards, probably someone would come through and not pick it up with great reverence or awe and say, oh, it's a popsicle stick fuzzy ball creation. In fact, it would probably be put in the trash, wouldn't it? If you left it here on one of the chairs or in a, a place, nobody's going to take it to Abdul and get it appraised. But to you, it's priceless. I said, okay, what's another thing? She said, family pictures. And I like that. Not, not the staged family pictures. You know the staged family pictures where everyone's in matching pajamas? <laughs> like, oh, we just wake up this way, you know? <laughs> Lies. <laughs> Those ones are no fun because there's no good memories associated with them. Everyone's screaming, yelling for three seconds, there's a good moment, and then it's a horrible thing for the rest of it. But these kind of family pictures, the family pictures where you're immediately taken back to a spot, to a place where your entire family was, or a memory, and then when you see that picture, you can rehearse different things that went on. You might even remember what you had for breakfast, what you did that night. You'll remember all the circumstances, the smells. This is a picture from the top of Soldier Mountain near Ironwood Camp. And on January 1st, 2018, we hiked this mountain as a family. My dad went with us. We hiked this mountain as a family. It's not that huge, like 35,000, 40,000 feet. I don't know, not that big of a deal. But it's a a mountain right outside of Newsbury Springs, and that cross is up there, and you just get to see a plane, a picture of everything. And we remember, I can tell you exactly what we did as soon as this picture was done. 
on the backside, there's some sand dunes, and we rolled down the sand dunes, and then we climbed back up, and we rolled down them again. And just a wonderful memory. Why? Because this memory, this day, even this picture, it's a priceless thing. Each of us have priceless things that God's given to us. And yet, the Bible tells us there's some things that we should strive to have that are priceless. In today's text, there's a man whose name is Naaman, and he has a priceless thing. There's a maid who has a priceless thing. There's a messenger. There is a master. And then there's military. And they all have something that is priceless. And I want to challenge you to lean into that which is priceless today because what we read about today is truly remarkable. In verse number one, the Bible tells us about a man whose name is Naaman. If you're there, say yes. The Bible says this, that Naaman was the captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. In verse number five, the Bible says, and the king of Syria go and I will send letters unto the king of Israel. And he departed and he took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. There's a lot of things that we see about this guy, but I deliberately left out the last phrase of verse number one. There's a five-word phrase about this man named Naaman, and the Bible says he was a leper. The Bible tells us about this man, Naaman, uh, Naaman, that he was accomplished. He was the premier of anyone that was his colleague or his uh, peer. No one had a higher rank than him, we understand, than perhaps the king of Syria. He was the right-hand man to the king. The Bible tells us that he was accomplished. Notice the words that it uses about him. The Bible says that he was a great man with his master and honorable. Gives us the idea that this man had many uh, trophies. He had a lot of ribbons on his uniform or stars on his lapel. You understand he is being honored and being honored with great honor because he has accomplished so many things. He is a masculine individual. He's a masculine. He's not somebody who um, uh, doesn't know who he is and how he's made. He is a man's man. The Bible tells this in Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. This was a person who understands his first designated. God made men and God made women, and he was really good at being a man. By the way, if God made you a man, be good at being a man. And if God made you a woman, be good at being a woman. This was a man's man. He was a masculine man. He was an accomplished man. And he was a leader. He was the type of person that when he walked in a room, everyone wanted to know what he was thinking. Everyone was wondering what he would order. Everyone wanted to make sure they did not miss out on what he said. He was a man's man. He was accomplished. He did not just get born into these circumstances. He was a person who was a leader. And the Bible tells us he was wealthy. So he had taken all of those talents and he had built something for himself. In verse number five, do you see what verse number five says? The Bible says, and he departed and he took with him 10 talents of silver. A talent of silver, I want you to imagine getting a hefty sack, a garbage bag that has some weight to it and filling it full of silver. When we're talking about talents, we're not talking about little 
American dollar uh, coins with a lot of silver content in them. No, it's a bag full of silver. The Bible tells us that it took two men to carry a talent. So we're not just talking about a few coins full of silver. He's taking bags full of silver, these talents of silver, and he's taking 10 of them. Then he takes 6,000 gold pieces. Let's imagine each gold piece is half an ounce. That's a lot of money. If he has 6,000 of them, somebody in here do the math at some time later. But understand, he's carrying with him millions and millions of dollars potentially because he wants to go and get some issue fixed. What is the issue that he needs fixed? He's flawed. The Bible says that he is a leper. And this is what's fascinating. In this room, there's a whole lot of people who have accomplishments. There's a whole lot of men's men in here. There's many people in here who are feminine, feminine, feminine women. They're feminist women. They're just, they're wonderful women. They have wealth. They've been leaders. But all of us have the same condition. Well, we might not have leprosy, but we're all flawed, aren't we? We all have sinned. And what we see about Naaman is this guy with all of his credentials and all of his accolades, he has a problem, and his problem is that he has a disease called leprosy. Now, leprosy is a very horrible disease. History tells us that a person with leprosy would lose their, their cartilage in their nose, so this, this nasal passage would become an open orifice. Their ears would deteriorate. Their lips would be gone. The, the digits on their fingers and their toes would go. And their bodies would literally be eaten from this horrible disease from the outside in. And there was no cure for it. Naaman, this accomplished person, has a problem that no one can fix, that no one can cure, and it feels as if though he's just gotten a worse diagnosis when we get to verse number two. In verse number two, the Bible says this, and the Syrian had gone out by company and brought away a captive out of the land of Israelite, a maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. What's fascinating is that there seems to be a conversation or some type of news that comes in that this diagnosis is bad and it just goes from bad to worse. Have you ever had one of those? Yeah, this isn't good and it just got worse. That's where Naaman is. The Bible tells us that with all of his flaws and with all of his imperfections, even though he's got accolades and even though he's got money and even though he's got promotions, the only thing in his life that is priceless right now is his family. He's got a family, and with all of the military credentials, all of the opportunities with the kings, he's in this intimate moment, and him and his wife, they're broken, and all that matters is, am I going to lose my husband? Am I going to see my wife? What is going to happen? All of us have the privilege of family. Don't ever lose that which is priceless. I'm so thankful that I grew up in a home where my parents valued family. Every Monday of our life, we had family day. And some of those Mondays, we would do amazing things, like go to Disneyland. And some others of those Mondays, we would do wonderful things like clean out the garage. And it was family day to pull weeds, and it was family days. One day, we watched all five of the first Rockies in a row. Ma rings outside. And we learned about the the wonderful patriotism of Rocky and Apollo in defeating the Russian communists. Gave us a pride for America watching Rocky with my dad. 
These are the things we would do every Monday. We would just do a family day. I'm so thankful that my mom and dad invested in us a love for family. That's something that we've tried to invest in our family. We try to, every single Monday, take a day where it's just us doing something as a family. You want to know why? Because my family is priceless. I'm pastor to a lot of people. I'm co-worker to a lot of people. I'm friend to a lot of people. But I'm only husband to one person. I'm only dad to four people. Oh, there's a whole lot of people in your career field who are managers and supervisors and sergeants and colonels and whatever you want to put in there. There's a whole lot of those, but you only get one spouse. You only get this time with those children. Invest in that which is priceless. He gets this diagnosis that he's ill, and in the diagnosis that he's ill, he finds out that there's an opportunity for something else. He finds from a weird source. The Bible says in verse number two that there's a maid that waits on his wife. Now, we don't know how he met this maid especially, but we do know that she was part of the inner circle of his house. The Bible says in verse number three, the Bible says, and she said unto her mistress, would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. The Bible tells us that there's this little girl, and she's probably at this time 14, 15, we suppose. That's our conjecture. She's a, she's a young teenager, maybe a middle adolescent, and when she hears the news, she gives word to her mistress and her master. She says, you know, maybe you should go to Samaria, and if you go to Samaria, there's somebody who could heal your condition there. The Bible tells us in verse number two, in verse number three, that they meet this girl while Naaman is raiding Israeli occupation. This is fascinating. On one of the campaigns where Naaman is going in, breaking through, pillaging, destroying, and fighting against Israelites, he meets this girl. Perhaps this girl's a little baby, like Moses, drawn out of the river, and, and now her parents are orphaned. Perhaps she's a young girl, and she's wandering stranded because her, her place has been destroyed, and perhaps Naaman has compassion. Perhaps it's not even um, comforting like that. Perhaps she was just brought back and bid on in a slave market, and Naaman said, I'll take that one. She looks like she's got a strong back. She could work at my house, work in the kitchen. We don't know all the circumstances, but this little girl, this maid, she is orphaned, and in her orphaned condition, she has refused victimhood. She's not going to be a person who sits and sulks in the condition of her life. She's somebody who is working hard. She's somebody who's investing where she is. She's determined that what happened back here is not going to dictate what happens with the rest of her life. We know that because when an opportunity comes to get back at Naaman for whatever happened, instead of giving him hatred, which he probably deserves, the Bible says, you should go see the prophet in Samaria. He would be able to heal you of, his leprosy, of your leprosy. And then here she demonstrates a priceless attribute, and it's the priceless attribute of a tender heart. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The exact same word is translated a different way in 1 Peter chapter 3. 
when God gives a commandment to children, to, to his children, finally be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, and then he says, be pitiful. It's easy to become calloused, isn't it? Even sometimes in our Christian virtue, it's easy to look at others and say, well, they're just getting what they deserved. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever thought that? When you see something bad or something difficult or something um, challenging happening to somebody who made poor choices, isn't it easy to say, well, that's what they get? It's about time. I knew, was God, I knew God was going to get them eventually. They're just reaping what they've sowed. And are all those things true? Absolutely. All those things are true. So what is the posture of a Christian? The posture of a Christian is to what? Be pitiful. Be pitiful. To give the assumption of benevolence, rather the arrogance of bitterness. I'm going to assume that Charles is doing his best. I'm going to assume that Rob is trying hard. I'm going to give you a tender heart. You want to know why? Because I want Paul to have a tender heart towards me. I, I want Maria to have a tender heart towards me. I want whenever you see me to think the best of me, not, oh, what is he doing now? And here in this state is a young lady who was orphaned, who was victimized, but in all of those conditions, she continues to demonstrate tenderness. Have you lost your tenderness as a Christian? Now, I'm not talking around just being a little whiny person, but I am saying, are you able to be moved? Are you tender towards the needs of others? It's a Christian attribute, not to be foolish, but to be tender. Because the Bible says, even as God for Christ's sake hath what? Forgiven you. God desires for us to demonstrate a tender heart, and this maid gives nothing but tenderness to a man who deserves none of it. When the maid gives that offer, the Bible tells us that Naaman loads up all of his supplies, all of his, all of his materials, takes millions of dollars worth of bribes, and he goes over to Israel. And the Bible tells us when he gets to Israel, he meets the king. And the Bible says in verse number seven, and it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes. And he said, am I God to kill and to make alive? And this man thus sent to recover a man of his leprosy. Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. They're trying to pick a fight with me. I can't fix leprosy. The Bible says in verse number eight, and it was so when Elisha, the man of God, heard the things of Israel, had, the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Hey, sir, why did you rent your clothes? Let him now come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. In verse number eight, it's not Elisha that goes and speaks to him. He sends a messenger. And we see the third person. We saw the man. We saw the maid. I want you to see the messenger. The messenger brings a message of hope. Look at verse number eight. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come unto me. What is he doing? He's offering hope. Not only is he offering hope, but he provides healing. Whenever Naaman gets the message... Whenever Naaman gets the message, the Bible tells us that he goes immediately down to Elisha's place. And can you imagine the music? In baseball, there's a thing called a walk-up song. If you've ever been to a boxing match, I had a friend who was in a boxing match a couple of years ago, 
And when he came down, uh, his, uh, his uh, marching song, the song that he came to uh, fight in the Thomas and Mac was, Jesus loves me, this I know. And I thought, oh, that's a kind of a good marching song, come down to. And the whole stadium was filled with, Jesus loves me, this I know. The other guy's music was ACDC something, and, like, and then Jesus loves me, and he whooped them. It was pretty cool. So can you imagine the marching song? The marching song of uh, Naaman as he comes in. Naaman's coming. And all of this is coming and it's going on. And the Bible tells us he comes up to Elisha's house. And when he comes up to Elisha's house, as he arrives, Elisha is too busy to meet with him. And so he sends a messenger. And the messenger says this. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, go and wash in Jordan. Seven times. And thy flesh shall come unto thee, and thou shalt be clean. What's the message? There is hope. What's the message? There is healing. Notice what the messenger's greatest priceless thing is. That he has a message. Can I tell you this? You have a message. 1 John 1, 5 says, And then this is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There is a God, and he's not full of guile. He's not full of deceit. He's not looking for you to beat yourself and drag your knuckles across the uh, concrete. There's a God who loves you. He died, was buried, and rose again so that you can have a heaven, so that your sins can be forgiven, and you don't have to worry about going to hell. Oh, there is a God. This is the message that we carry. Oh, this messenger, he had something that was priceless. You've got hope, and there's an opportunity for healing and he carried that message and he carries that message with great distinction i want you to see the fourth area it's the military the military come upon them and the message that the military is given is not one that they enjoy in fact these people who are full of loyalty they hear the message they're full of teamwork they are quite pragmatic now this is what's fascinating the Bible says, And the servants came near and spake unto him. And as they came near and they spake unto him, the Bible says, They said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean? See, Naaman's got a problem. Naaman doesn't like what the prophet told him to do. The prophet told him to go to the River Jordan. And in the River Jordan, I want you to go dip yourself in the River Jordan seven times. And when you dip yourself in the River Jordan seven times, you'll be clean. And Naaman's got issue with that. He says, why in the world would I do that? The Jordan River is a disgusting river. Our rivers back home are a whole lot better. Have you ever seen a lake in Montana? If you have, say yes. If you didn't say yes, you need to get out more, okay? <laughs> or at least Google a picture of a lake in Montana. Have you ever seen Lake Mead? If you have, say yes. Do you know there's a difference between a Lake Mead lake and a lake in Montana lake? A couple years ago, I was going to uh, baptize a person. We came back here, and he was from a different faith background. And so I brought him in the back over here. And when I brought him in the back, um, 
I, I was explaining to him, when you come forward, like the two people who were baptized today, praise the Lord. Isn't it wonderful that you go to a church where people are baptized? Isn't that great? And so um, we were explaining, so when you get baptized, you're going to sit here, and uh, we're going to, uh, we'll say a few words. We'll say, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? And uh, um, then you'll say yes, and then we'll say, upon your public profession of faith in him, if I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, in the name of Jesus, bearing the likes of death, raise the likeness of your resurrection. And in the middle of my talk with him, his face went from instruction to almost aghast. Like, what are you doing? And I looked at him and asked, did I do something wrong or did I say something wrong? He said, you're, you're kind of splashing that water like it's no big deal. How do, why are you treating holy water like that? In the back here, there's a green hose. <laughs> and so I opened up the little gate and I pulled out the green hose and I said, this water comes from Lake Mead. There ain't nothing holy about this water. <laughs> Naaman says, why in the world would I get in the Jordan River? I thought about getting into this baptismal tank today. I actually thought about having Luke come down and dunk himself seven times to help you see it. But I'm not going to because I have to preach one more message. <laughs> Makes no sense. Let's have, let's have uh, seven dunks in the Jordan River and then everything will be okay. It makes no sense. And Naaman's frustrated. No way, Jose. I'm not going to do that. No, that's dumb. That's crazy. Let's get out of here. And notice the pragmatic use of his military. His military man said, if he had asked you to do something great, would you have not done it? If he would have take, told you to take off your sandals, walk to the top of the hill, and swing a dead chicken over your head, would you have done it? Probably. Why not just go get in the water seven times? This is what's wonderful. In the New Testament, there is a come and see mentality. Do you remember whenever Nathaniel is under the tree? His friend comes to him and says, we've, we've met the Messiah. He says, there's no good thing that comes out of Nazareth. Come and see. Come and see. Do you remember the woman at the well? She's confronted with Jesus, confronted with her sin, and she goes back to her town, and she says, come and see. Come and see. Most of our Christian life is not filled with having to explain the apologetical nuances of the kenosis passage in Philippians chapter 2, or even understanding all of the intricacies of God's creation of this world in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 11. Are they important? Yes. But most of our evangelism and most of our walk with God is just, just come and see. Just come and see. God's doing this in my life. Come and see. And I love the pragmatic work of this military. The pragmatic work of this military says we came here for a purpose. You're here to get healed. And if you, if you leave town without jumping in the Jordan River seven times, you're messing up the mission. The prophet said, jump in the lake, go jump in the lake, and do it seven times. If he'd told you to do some crazy thing, you'd have done it. Why don't we just try this? I love this. Their priceless action is that they're on a mission. The last one is this. The Bible tells us about the master. The master is Elisha. Guess what happens whenever he dunks himself in the Jordan River seven times? Do you think he gets healed or dies of leprosy? If you think he gets healed, say, I. If you think he dies of leprosy, say, I. Well, 
the first eyes have it. In fact, the Bible tells us this. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse number 14, then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came unto him, unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Last night I went into my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's house, and they have a little six-month-old boy. His name is Wesley, and he's so cool. And Wesley's just a little chubby, just a chubby little guy. And as soon as he walked in, his dad's holding him, Chris is holding him. And when we walked in, he went, oh. He didn't say, oh, but I felt like it was like, oh, Uncle Matt's here. This is my favorite uncle. Absolutely his favorite uncle. Oh, my Uncle Matt's here. And, and he just smiled, big old grin. And he's got these chunky legs on him. And his skin, he's just, a, he's just got that beautiful baby glow skin on him. When he touches his skin, it's just so soft. I saw him a few minutes ago before church. He's in the nursery with his mom. And I'm like, hey, Wesley, I'm going to talk about you today. And he just, oh, my favorite uncle. <laughs> the Bible tells us that that calloused, war-hardened man who had been in battle and underneath the sun, and slept out uh, in the elements many, many nights. That hunter, that fighter, that rough and tumble man, as soon as he comes out the seventh time, his skin is as soft as Wesley's. Neutrogena put a sticker for advertisement on the side of his chariot because oil of Olay wasn't going to offer him enough. Every skincare product would have loved to dip in the Jordan River, but it was not some beauty regimen. It was the power of God in his life. And so he comes back and he meets the master. And when he meets the master, Elisha, the Bible says, then returned the man of God and all of his company. And they came and they stood before him and he said, behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. No, no Baal, no Rimon, no Ashtaroth could do what your God just did for me. And he says, now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. He celebrates all that God has done in his life. The master celebrates. But notice this, he wants to give him money. And when he wants to give him money, the, uh, the, the man of God says, no, no, you keep your money. He presses And when he presses, he says, as the Lord liveth, Elisha says, before whom I stand, I will receive none. I don't want any of your money. And he urged him, please take it. And guess what Elisha says? Nope, I'm not here for money. I'm not here for cattle. I'm not here for talents of silver. I'm here to do the work and power of God. I understand too that this is not just the end of your conversion. This isn't the end of your story. Naaman, you're not done now. Just because you've been saved doesn't mean your life is finished. There is a process that we call discipleship that is supposed to move forward in your life. See, when God saves you, God saves you not just to take you to heaven, though that would be good enough, amen? That would be good enough just to get saved, but God wants you to do a work here on this earth. He has a process. He has a calling. He has a mission. He has a tender heart that he wants to work in your life. He has a family that he wants you to value. There's more to life than just being saved. Though being saved would be great enough just for life. God has more for you, and it's this process called discipleship. And it's beautiful that Naaman understands it. Naaman said, Shall there not then pray be given unto thy servant two mules, burden of earth, 
Can I at least take some burden? Can I, can I take away some of your struggles, some of your difficulties? For thy servant will henceforth neither offer burnt offerings nor sacrifices unto any other gods, but unto the Lord. And it's as if Elisha is saying, we don't need your stuff here because you're going to be a missionary back in Syria. You're going to go back to that land. And when you go back to that land, you remember what the God of Israel did here. In just a few short decades, there would be a prophet that would go into the capital of that same land and he would preach, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And there is an instantaneous revival. There's an instantaneous revival as Jonah preaches the word of God. And I believe that the seeds for that great revival start right here in 2 Kings chapter 5 where a man doesn't invest all his stuff over here but like a missionary he hauls it back and he says you guys have got to know about the God of Israel. What do you know? I don't know a whole lot but I was dead and I was on my way to a very bad place but guess what? There God saved me. What a wonderful truth. He sends him away and says we want none of your stuff. You go and you do the work of God up there in Syria. What an awesome thing. What was his priceless power? His priceless gift was the power of God. And I just want to remind you that the power of God works through your life. It is not a fount that is dried up. It has not gone through a drought. It is not diminished. You have the power of God in your life. If you're saved this morning, say yes then the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. And if the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, he's able to do stuff in and through you that you might not be able to do on yourself, that you can't conjure, that you can't maneuver, that you can't strategize. The power of God working through your life is greater to do things than you could ever imagine. For the glory of Almighty God, he took that which is priceless, the power of God, and he wasn't going to substitute it for something else. Oh, I'm sure he could have used it for a number of different projects, but the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I'm not going to give up the power of God for something as trivial as 10 bags full of silver. But let's go back to the messenger. Do you remember the man who said, there is hope. Come, come down over here. There's healing. Go down to the Jordan River. The Bible tells us that this guy allowed his heart to be compromised in verse number 20. But Gehazi, the messenger, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian, in not receiving at his hand that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him, and he said, Is all well? And he said, All's well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, now there become unto me men out of Ephraim, two men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. The man who was a messenger in his priceless opportunity was his message, he changes and compromises his message. The Bible tells us that Elisha confronts him. And he says unto him, Went not my heart with thee? When the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee, is it a time to receive money and receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants? Is this the time 
to be growing our portfolio and our 401k? Is this the time to be looking for dalliances and opportunities and luxury? Or is this the time to be doing the work of God? Your heart is not in the right place. And since your heart is not in the right place, that which was on Naaman will now be put on you in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 27. Leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow because he had something that was priceless, but he abandoned that which was priceless so that what? He could get something that had a price tag. Be very careful because all of us have been given that which is priceless. Don't give up a tender heart to become callous to the things and the needs of others. Don't give up the power of God for some luxury or for some opportunity. Don't give up a family because you can never buy that back. Don't give up the message that God has given you and compromise it with corrupt communication or deceit or lies and half-truths. And don't give up your mission for something that can be bought. Don't give up your values. Don't give up your testimony. The great sadness of this story echoes the great triumph of God's healing. On one side, you see a man who had it all but needed something that was priceless. On the other side, you had somebody who had it all and gave it up for something that could be bought. Don't give up that which is priceless for that which has a price tag. In Tomorrowland, there's a value on that which is priceless. And it starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. May we use the priceless gifts that God's given us and advance his message and his mission. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to apply it to our lives and use it for your glory. And I ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.